0: Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 5. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful that you've gathered us together again. We're thankful that you saved us, that you worked in our Lives, that you convicted us of sin and granted us repentance and put your spirit within us and caused us to be born again. Oh Lord, we praise your grace, your mercy. We pray that you'd be gracious to us now and merciful to us. Our desire, Lord, is to read your word and to understand it and to comprehend the implications and the teachings of it and figure out how to put these things into practice in a more God-honoring way. Please bless us now as we look to Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we read... the. Second half of chapter 4, verses 23-37. through If you remember, Peter and John reported to their friends after being arrested and then released, they reported to their brothers and sisters in Christ everything that had happened to them. Do you remember this? The Bible said that they prayed for God's help to be bold and witness. They prayed, O Sovereign Lord! Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in it? And we talked about that. When you you speak to God that way, the sea and everything in it, He did that? What you're saying is, you are almighty. The sea, how many fish are in it? How many creatures are in it? Can they be counted? O Lord, who speaks through the prophets, what will come to pass long before it actually does come to pass? Who planned everything that would take place against Jesus, even that rulers and people would gather together against your anointed Son? And they pray and they say, God, look upon these threats They've threatened us and told us to stop preaching. We won't, but Lord, help us. Give us boldness, even in the face of threatenings. And we'll see soon in Acts, not mere threats either. Physical harm upon God's witnesses. And the Bible says, verse 31, "...the place was shaken, and the Spirit filled them. They could tell God heard our request." We prayed, we have the Spirit. And the Bible says they continued to preach with boldness. And then the last part of the chapter, Christian unity and generosity. They were sharing their things. The Scripture says, No one had need because they all shared their possessions and their money. In accordance with the Scriptures. Listen, if among you one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother. But you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. For there, And then verse 11, there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, Open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. And Christian, I hope you'll hear the word of God and you won't begin to justify and say those homeless people on the corner are lazy. There's a lot more people who are poor and needy than the handful of people that you sometimes see on a corner. That's not what the scripture is talking about. There's lots of poor people all over the earth. And it's not because they're lazy. It's because it's God's will that he would bless some that they might share with others. Why else did God command? Don't close your hand against your brother. Open your hand. In verse 36 and verse 37, Barnabas is a good example. He sold a field and gave the money. You see that verse 37. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is important. He voluntarily sold the field. The church did not command him to sell that property, nor to give the money to the apostles. He wanted to. Well, let's stand and we'll read chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is Acts chapter 5, 1 through 11. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Amen. You may be seated. So verse 4 ends with, We hear of Barnabas, this son of encouragement. He sells a field because he wanted to. He wanted to bless the church. And Ananias and this couple, Sapphira, they we hear of a piece of property that they sold. And they gave some of the money to the church, but not all. Now what's the problem here? Were they commanded to sell the property? No, we will see. They weren't. Were they commanded to give all of it? No, they weren't. They seemed to see Barnabas sell his field, and they wanted to appear very generous and get on board with this praise that Barnabas is receiving. One commentator said, and I think he's right, there may indeed be the further implication that Ananias and Sapphira had vowed to give the whole proceeds of the sale to God, but then changed their mind and handed only part. Doesn't that make sense? They were not commanded to do this. And I discussed this with somebody recently, And I want to make sure that if y'all are of the same opinion, you need to change it. Because Ananias and Sapphira abused the practice of sharing, it doesn't mean that the church was wrong in their actions in chapter 4. Do you hear me? It says that there was no one in need and they were freely sharing their things. It doesn't mean that everybody shook out every last penny into a big pile and then they divided it by how many people they had. No. They just shared freely as anyone had need. But I've heard this opinion that well we see that that practice is faulty. See how quickly it caused division in the church? Look at chapter 5. No. No. That's like saying because some men are given to adultery that none should marry. That's wrong. The problem is they wanted to be praised. They wanted to be thought of as generous. And really, if we think about it, if we go back to chapter 4, this is I think this is instructive. Verse 32, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And then look at verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. In between those two verses, verse 33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Okay. Is their sharing part of the great grace that was upon them all? And the answer is yes, yes. People are not this way normally without the great grace of God in their hearts saying, I worked for it, sure, but take it, use it, be blessed. We're brothers and sisters. The fact that they were sharing actually commended their testimony. God is good. He loves us. He has mercy on the needy. So do we as a church. Do you see how that commends their testimony? They were testifying, Jesus is risen from the dead. We believe it. Our country is not here in Jerusalem. It's not here. It's not there. It's in heaven. And my inheritance... Listen, it is true that the righteous leaves an inheritance to his offspring. But listen, your reward is not your pile of stuff. Is it? Your co-heirs, true, but not of what you have here. God has made us children his own children. Even that we could call Jesus our brother and made us co heirs sounds impossible. Why would he do such a thing? Love, love, mercy. But, like I said before, all this giving and sharing is completely voluntary. No one is forcing them to do anything. In fact, the scripture tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. Not a giver who gives and they don't want to. They want to. God God didn't command Barnabas to sell his field. The apostles didn't command him to sell his field. And they didn't command this couple to do it. This couple, they want to appear a certain way, even though in reality they are not that way in their hearts. They distorted and marred the righteous act of the rest of the people. The sharing and giving and generosity. Verse 3, the Spirit of God would not allow this to stand. This is not what God wants to happen in the early days of the church. God will not allow this to happen. There's going to be honesty and freedom of sharing and unity. Verse 3, Peter says that this is a satanic scheme to disrupt the peace of the church. There's a beautiful thing going on here, Ananias. Why are you listening to the devil? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? By the way, I don't believe that the point of this is to teach the doctrine of the Trinity, but it is definitely here. You lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not some wind merely that wisps around from here to there. You can lie to Him. You can grieve Him according to the Scriptures. Verse 4, we see, which we've already discussed, but Peter tells him, this was voluntary. You're bringing this trouble on your own head. It was your field. You didn't have to sell it. You chose to sell it. And when you sold it, you didn't have to give it all. You see, there there must have been a vow on their part. We're going to sell our field too and give it all. And then they didn't. It seems that that's the problem. He says, after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? It's your money. It was your field. Do whatever you want. But don't lie to the Holy Spirit. And then, look, this is interesting. At the end of verse 4, you've not lied to man, but to God. And what has happened here is Holy Spirit and God have been interchanged as meaning the same thing. And this is where we strengthen our doctrine of the Trinity. You didn't lie to man. You lied to God. And if Anna and I said, I thought you said I lied to the Holy Spirit. Right. You lied to God. God the Spirit. Verse 5, when he heard it, he died. Immediately. Listen, we sin all the time and God doesn't strike us dead. You know why? Because he's very patient and long-suffering. If he did, it would be justified. We need to remember that. When you think about why does bad things happen to good people? What good people? Who? God looked down from heaven and saw there were none who sought after him or sought to understand. No, not one. Well we might say, Well, yeah, but they're they're a lot better than most people. Okay, well John Calvin discussed this in his Um, study guide that he gave to the king. And he said, when you look at something, if it's very, very black, and then you compare it to something that's a shade of gray, and the right lighting, it might even look pure and white. But it's not. You're comparing it to something that's extremely black. Compare it to the holy, unblemished gleam of God, and you'll see it's not clean. It's not innocent. The Spirit of God knows. And it's not new, it's been in the Scripture. Quote If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secret of the heart. Psalm 44. We don't know the full reason why they are struck dead, but God is just. And he knew that their sin was grievous. They didn't lie to man ultimately. they lied to God. And his judgment came quickly, and the man died immediately. And the people, they take notice, don't lie about things that are devoted to God. The Bible says, fear came upon them all. He takes it very seriously. Listen, quote, O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They've transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. You remember the story of Achan. It was devoted. And oftentimes in the Scriptures, when things are devoted to God, they're either destroyed or given over to Him, never to be taken back. Things or people that are devoted to God and then taken back, listen to me, will incur the wrath of God. They are cherim to Him. Don't take it back. It's mine. This is why the Bible warns us, don't make vows. If you make a vow, you better keep it. And especially if you make a vow to God and you say, I devote this to you, you better keep it. We are told it's better to not vow than to vow and not keep it. Oh Lord Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus warns him immediately. Don't make a vow and not keep it. What if I told you I sleep outside every night? I don't even have a pillow. You going to follow me then? Count the cost. Good. And I I pray that all of y'all have counted the cost and know that it's a hard path and are still willing to go. But don't pretend to be devoted to God and you're not. Listen, their sin is a, is a sin that, that is common among us. But I think it can pertain to many different things. This convicts me. In my life, numerous times I've been providentially a prayer group leader. And it convicts me to no end that I'm not a... Prayer warrior. I pray and I believe God will answer, but I'm not on my hands and knees at all times. And it sort of looks that way in my life because providentially, somehow, I became a prayer group leader numerous times. It convicts me. Other people, they have a look of humility, but really they're not humble. They just want people to think that they're humble. God forbid. God forbid. Are you, are you God's voluntary bond servant? Have you pledged yourself to him? You better serve him as a devoted thing. Don't take it back. That will bring on God's anger. Let the devoted things, the devoted belongings of God be steadfast in their devotion to Him. I think this is why they are killed on the spot. You devoted it, you lied to me. Verse 6. If you need an apologetic that he actually really did die, the scripture says, and they took him out and buried him. He was dead. And his wife comes in. She doesn't have any idea that her husband was dead. And she continues the lie. She didn't fear to take back the devoted thing either. Verse 9. In the common vernacular, Peter says, Really? Really? Y'all have agreed together to lie until the end? You don't know that your husband's already dead. He lied to me too. End of God! Really? You're going to put God to the test? Do you think the Spirit really sees or cares you want to test it? verse 9 how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord if one person sinning is not bad enough it's a conspiracy we'll tell them that we gave it all but we'll really keep back some if they ask you listen if they ask you tell them we gave it all they planned it out they had to have Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door. They'll carry you out. Verse 10, immediately she dies. And is buried next to her husband. God is, was not going to allow this type of hypocrisy in the early church. He wanted them to be afraid. The Spirit knows. And there's good fear of God, right? There is. There's awe If you see a volcano erupt, you should be in awe. God's power is massive. And that's not even right. The Bible says He holds the oceans of the earth in the palm of His hand. It's a light thing for Him. But you should also fear to get on God's bad side. This increased fear... In the church, they needed to know. God knows. He sees. We're told that about this Word of God, verse in Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This is what happened. Perhaps you hear this and you know, you say, I'm guilty of this too. I'm holding back. I took back the devoted thing that belonged to God. Maybe you took back your own life. You devoted it to God, but now you've taken back part of it. And we could have a discussion about that too. Why would you take back part? Do you think God won't satisfy you? Do you think you'll be disappointed if you give it all over? You won't be. God is no man's debtor. You won't give more than He gives ever. He gave His Son for you. The most valuable thing in the history of existence. He loves you. But if that didn't work, I'd say be careful, don't take back the devoted thing. That will incur God's wrath. But listen. If you're convinced, say, yes, Brother Bill, I am a hypocrite. I know I am. There's hope. There remains hope for the sinner. There remains hope. Listen, even the sinner who's in sin, there's hope. You're still alive, friend. If you're still alive, there's hope. His mercy's new every day. We actually get the answer to this question in that same passage in Hebrews, in the next few verses. Since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Listen, God knows about your sins. It's open and exposed. You... Try to hide it. And listen, in God's mercy, many of our sins He does hide and conceal. And we should thank God for that because we would be utterly ashamed, wouldn't we? But listen, He still knows about it. He knows. He knows about your weakness too. And you know how He knows? You know how He can sympathize? Because He became flesh. He dwelt among us. He became like us. He endured suffering and temptation and weakness. You say, God was weak? Yes, He made Himself weak. He fasted in the desert for 40 days and was tempted sorely by the devil. And the Bible says at the end of it, the angels came and ministered to Him. I, I can conceive of him being utterly exhausted and in need of attention. The angels ministered to him. He knows about our struggle. You think he doesn't know? He knows. Will you go to him? You can trick me. I'm not that smart anyway, but even if I was, you could trick me and you could trick your friends and you could make them think that you're a certain way, even though you are not, but you are not going to fool God. You're not. There's no escape. The solution to this problem, there's one solution to this problem. And listen, it's the best solution that can possibly be. You go to him. You go to him. His burden and is easy. His, er, Spurgeon has a great picture of this. He says, almost never do you see a rider on a horse and that horse pulling a wagon also that's just cruel to the beast you'll either ride the horse or let the horse be unridden while pulling a cart Jesus says if you're heavy and you're loaded down and you're pulling a heavy wagon too bring it here bring it on I'll take it all and he will he has go to him he cares for you You say, but Brother Bill, I'm the hypocrite that you just mentioned. He came to save sinners. It's not the righteous or the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. You say you're sick, well, go to him. Find help in your time of need. It's the only solution. All other solutions, in the end, you're going to be disappointed God may let you run and run and run and run until death. That's not the path. Go to Him. His mercy is new every day. You have a bad pattern? Quit it. Start a new one. One that emphasizes your devotion to God. For God's glory. And listen, for your good. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder about things that are devoted. Oh, Lord, we all have to confess that we've fallen short of what we would wish to be. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to be more devoted to you in every way. Help us not to be filled with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes. Help us to be sincere in heart and to be good. We ask that you bless our fellowship together and our communion time as well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.